Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Some of you are already thinking, uh, you know, church is already depressing enough as it is. Now you throw those kind of stats up there. If I wasn't depressed coming in, I'll probably be depressed going out. No, 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 no. Listen, folks, it doesn't have to be that way. Actually, as a matter of fact, let me start over by saying this. I want to welcome every single person here in Morristown. I want to welcome those of you watching online as well as those of you in New Brunswick and Nutley. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Pastor Tom, and today... Well, today we're checking in the last bag of our baggage series, and yes, this one is actually a doozy, depression, right? But don't worry, guys, I'm not about to give you like some sort of grandiose promise, like, you know, for just $19.99, I'll tell you how to turn your troubles upside down and, you know, frowns and everything is just gone, 30 minutes. Uh, No, that's not what's going to happen right now, Uh, but I can confidently say that wherever you are on the emotional spectrum today... You're going to actually walk out of here with a better understanding of depression as well as some very practical tools to apply to your own life or the life of someone whom you love who may be struggling with depression. Because I tell you something, these numbers, the reality is they're actually staggering, right? Chances are you or someone you know has suffered from some degree of depression. In fact, the sheer numbers tell us that there are probably one or two people sitting in your row right now who suffers with depression. Don't point, but I'm just saying that that's, that's what the numbers say, right? I mean, you saw the numbers, right? They're, they're staggering, aren't they? Again, over 18 million Americans are clinically depressed. One out of 10 women suffer from postpartum depression. One, over 1 million preschoolers, this is actually very, this, this stat alone is depressing. Over a million preschoolers take antidepressants. One out of 14 suffers from depression. Suicides have actually claimed more lives than American wartime casualties. There's just no way around this thing. Depression is the common cold of emotional disorders. And more formal definitions include things like this. Quote, a temporary emotional stage categorized by exaggerated feelings of sadness. Here's another one. A hopelessness that is not consistent with reality. But you know something? Many times, this is the sort of thing that sort of goes undiagnosed, right? Instead, we often, we often just say things like, oh, you know what, she's just, she's just feeling blue. 
you know, or, or, or yeah, he, he's down in the dumps, or, or so-and-so, yeah, he must just kind of be going through one of his spells again. Yeah, I think he's like hit the doldrums or something. But the reality is we all go through this at some point. And, and you want to take a guess at what the number one way to deal with depression is in the United States? What do you think it is, the number one way? So, I mean, say, for instance, that you've got a friend, right, who, who's always saying, you know, I'm depressed, I, I can't get out of bed, you know, I feel like, oh, man, you know, I've, I've lost my appetite, everything is so blah to me. What do you think is the number one thing for Americans to do in this sort of situation? Yeah, I think I heard it out there. Yeah, the, their attitude is this, ah, you know what, no problems, you know, I'm, I'm suffering with depression, don't even worry about it, you know, I'll just... I'll just pop some of these, right? I'll, I'll just get a prescription. I'll just, I'll just pop in a happy pill and bam, everything will be great. Everything will be brand new. I'll have no more problems. In fact, how many of you guys have ever read or, or heard about this kind of cult classic here? Bestseller, Prozac Nation, right? Uh, a young and depressed in America. Maybe some of you have actually seen the motion picture, right? It was starring Christina Ricci, right? Here's the deal. Either way, the point is clear. We live in a time and place where not only does instant gratification top our list, but so does instant medication. This idea that if I just get the right prescription, if I can just get my hands on those happy pills, Prozac Nation, everything will be fine. Everything will be A-OK. Now, folks, don't get me wrong here. I am not going to bash medicine Okay, I'm not going to bash antidepressants here. In fact, later on, we're going to see some of the undeniable benefits of medicine. In fact, I consider it a true gift from God used in the right way. But what we do want to be careful of and realize is that depression isn't some sort of, you know, modern day phenomenon that just sort of popped up, just sort of sprung up on the modern world. No, actually, popping pills and, and, and becoming the sort of Prozac nation isn't the only option. People have actually been dealing with depression for thousands and thousands of years. And here's another thing. Just because you go to church, okay, I I, got to say this. Just because you might be a Christ follower in here, you believe in Jesus, you came to church on Sunday and all this stuff, just because you did these things doesn't necessarily make you immune from depression either. I don't know about you, but here's an honest moment here. I grew up in this sort of, you know, little Christian bubble, right? And, and, and in this bubble, there was often this feeling, there's often this sense of, oh, well, if you're depressed, I mean, something must be wrong with you. Maybe there's like unconfessed sin in your life. Because if you're Christian and, and you're depressed, well, I, I don't know what's going on because... I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Everybody, down in my heart, right? You, you guys already know that song? Uh, okay, all right. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch. Anyways, okay. The only problem is you just can't sing away the blues, right? Because the, that little Christian bubble, that little Christian bubble has no room for a theology of pain. It doesn't even have room for a theology of the cross. Those kind of little Christian bubbles, they don't have, they're, they're too fragile to hold on to the realities of life. But on top of all that, when you have folks that are like quoting verses like, rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. 
Seriously? Come on. I mean, even the quickest glance of church history in the Bible shows us that depression is something God's people have battled with for centuries upon centuries. In fact, you may be surprised, but it's a well-known fact that the great reformer, Martin Luther, actually battled with depression throughout his entire life. These are his words. For weeks I was close to the gates of death and hell. Christ was wholly lost. This is the father of the Reformation. Christ was wholly lost. The content of the depression was always the same. The loss of faith that God is good and that he is good to me. Likewise, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, some of you may know him as, he struggled so severely with depression that he would often leave his pulpit. He would leave his church for two to three months out of the year. And one time he shared with his congregation this, I am the subject of depression so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extreme wretchedness as I go through. Every mental, every mental and spiritual labor is carried under protest of my spirit. Guys, that's the prince of preachers we're talking about. The, the father of the, uh, of the Protestant Reformation. And you know what? I'm not even going to go into the detail about some of the modern-day spiritual giants that have openly shared about their battles, their wrestling matches with depression. Uh, pastors and authors like Chuck Swindoll, Tim Keller, Elizabeth Elliot, Philip Yancey, Rick Warren. Now, I, I get it. For some of you, those names, they mean absolutely nothing. For others of you, you're like scandalized right now. But, but here, here, are some, here are some other names that may pique your interest, okay? How about um, King David? Yeah, you know, like David and Goliath? Or, or, or how about the uh, prophet Elijah? Yeah, the one that called down fire from the heavens. Uh, uh, how about Job? Or, or here's one. Here's one that, that you should be interested in. Moses. How about Moses? See, the Bible is full of people who have suffered through and overcome fierce battles with a depressed spirit. In fact, believe it or not, there's actually an entire book in this Bible written by someone known as the weeping prophet. That's the Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah. And the Old Testament book that he literally wrote was called Lamentations. Yeah, it may as well have the subtitle Depression. Okay, are, are, you, are you catching this? Think about this now. There's an entire book in the Bible devoted to depression. In other words, God actually saw it fit to include an entire book, not just like a verse, not just like a chapter, but an entire book in the Bible on this particular subject. Lamentations, a book of laments, a book of wailing and weeping, a book of of mourning aloud and expressing deep sorrow. And it's the book we're going to spend the rest of today in. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Okay, anyways. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bible to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1, found on page 575. And here's the deal. Let me just say this. As you're doing that, I'm deliberately poking fun here, making, maybe making a fool out of myself. I don't know. But I'm deliberately poking fun here. I'm deliberately poking fun here and there, not out of uh, irreverence, okay? Depression is actually something close to my heart. It's actually touched my family in a, in a deeply personal and significant way. But I am, I want to be forthright and say I am actually trying to lighten things up a little bit because what we're about to read 
is just some of the darkest, heaviest stuff you can find throughout all scripture. I mean, this, this weeping prophet, Jeremiah, he does not pull back any punches. He just, just gives it to you right in the face. Check this out. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than the light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me and again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and he has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in So I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Guys, are you feeling this? Depression leaves you feeling trapped. It it leaves you feeling like you're walled in. It leaves you feeling like you are among the living dead. Now, I don't exactly know where Jeremiah is at this point. The context is a little fuzzy. I'm thinking he's probably at the DMV. But... (laughs) I, I, I don't know, right? I don't know. But, but let, let's pick up the next verse here. Verse 8. Even when I call out or cry for help, what does he do? He shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Verse 10. This is amazing. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path. And what did he do? Mangled me. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. In the original Hebrew, this is what's known as a bad day at the office. Seriously, guys, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Who is the prophet Jeremiah talking about here? Right? I mean, from whom do all these afflictions come from? Who's the cause of all this? Is he talking about a godless nation? right? Some sort of mortal enemy? Or, or maybe this prophet of God, with all these horrible things happening, he's probably talking about the devil, right? He must be talking about the devil. I mean, who else would wall a prophet in? Uh, who else would weigh a prophet down and shut out a prophet's prayers? Who else would, like a lion, hide, waiting only to pounce, and then drag that person from his path and mangle him, leaving him for dead. This must be the devil he's talking about, right? Obviously, this is the devil he's talking about, right? Right? Wrong. No. Who's the prophet Jeremiah talking about here? Yeah, he's talking about God. He's talking about God. And that is so hard to admit. But some of you, some of you identify with this, don't you? I mean, maybe there's been an event in your life where you are feeling walled in. You are feeling trapped. Maybe you're feeling an affliction that that has you so weighed down and and you try to pray, man, you pray and you come up after service and you pray with one of the pastors, but it just feels like no matter what it is, no matter how much you pray, it just bounces off the ceilings, right? Like your prayers are being shut out. 
And if you keep going through this day after day, it doesn't take too long before you start thinking. Like, you start wondering. Like, you start to even dare to, can I even think this thought? But maybe it just sort of dawns on you that, God, are you? Are you the one that's doing this? Are you thwarting me? Depression. This is what it feels like to be depressed in spirit. Folks, don't worry. I say all this to normalize things because you're actually in good company. This is actually Jeremiah, a prophet of God, who feels the same way. Actually, no, no, no. He feels worse. And you know something? He's not even done. Look at the next verse here, verse 12. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and sated me with gall. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone. And all that I hope from from the Lord, I remember my affliction and my wandering, what bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is what? Let's read it together. My soul is downcast within me. Now, guys, I am no doctor, nor am I a psychiatrist, nor do I play one on the internet. But do you think that our friend Jeremiah here is just a little bit depressed? You break my teeth with what? Gravel. Folks, on your way in today, you were given a gift. Can I have everyone just take out this gravel, this bag of gravel, all the campuses? Just, just raise it up here with me. Just to raise it up. Raise it. Shake it up a little bit. Shake it up, okay? Everyone got this present? All right? Now just look at this thing. I want you to go ahead and just, just feel it. Just toss it between both hands here. Feel the, the grittiness of it, right? Feel the heft of it. Feel the reality of it, the weight of it, right? Now, now, now don't do this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying don't do this, but just imagine now taking this, right? Just looking at that, taking this. Don't do this, but imagine just opening this up now. Imagine opening this up and pouring it into your mouth. Don't do it. Imagine just, just, just uh, we don't have that kind of insurance, but anyways, just, okay? Imagine just pouring it into your mouth and chewing on it. Because that is exactly what this prophet of God felt like. You break my teeth with gravel. That's what Jeremiah felt inside of his soul. See, guys, you need to know, you need to understand, we cannot just glaze through this passage. This ain't no 16-year-old kid singing about getting stood up at the prom, okay? Jeremiah was a prophet who served God for 40 years. He wrote this during the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 BC when the Babylonians came and wreaked havoc. So in a very real way, we're looking into the heart. We actually have the privilege of piercing into the heart of someone who lost everything. And everyone he knew and loved was either taken into captivity or was killed. So no, this is not the new chorus for Justin Bieber's next hit single. This is way more serious. 
This is a way more painful, broke my teeth with gravel type moment. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, throughout this series, Pastor Tim has done such a great job of sharing with you stories upon stories that many of you submitted on your connection cards, your emails, your your requests for counseling online. They just kept pouring in and pouring in. I got to tell you, it broke my heart. And, And you know what? This past week was no different. We had one family, I'm not kidding, we had one family literally struggling with the decision to take a young mother off life support. She has two young sons. Uh, Another from a woman who is experiencing domestic abuse. Uh, Another from a Liquid Kids volunteer whose sister just suddenly, older sister just suddenly died this past week. And still others from families. I'm talking, I know two or three families that are about to lose their home. All in the past week. And, And so it's no surprise that these are the kind of real life situations that can derail anyone and have them spiraling in to depression. Circumstances, this is the truth. Circumstances sometimes get overwhelming. And we become hopeless. It happens. Remember now, depression is like the common cold. You know something? Again, I don't say this in like a theoretical smug way. I know I'm making some jokes and stuff like that, but as I shared with you earlier, Depression is actually something that strikes very close to my heart in a very personal way because it's touched my family in a personal way. In fact, the person that I love the most, my wife Erica, has wrestled with depression for more than half her life. And here's the deal, guys. Erica and I, we, um, we come from very heavy, shame-based cultures. And this sort of thing isn't really talked about, especially if you're Christian. You just sort of hide it over here because the happy mask is what is esteemed above all else in the Korean culture where we came of age. And let's be honest, right? No one, no one in their right mind wants to be the poster child for depression, right? I, I mean, give me a break, right? Weeping prophet broke my teeth with gravel? Nah, I, I think I'll pass. But my wife, she never had that choice. Yet to her credit, she does have the choice to share the journey that God has taken her through with others. And that's exactly what she's chosen to do here. Well, when I was seven years old, I... um... I had a, an older sister, she was 15 years older than I was, and um, she passed away suddenly. That's all I was told. 
um, at that time. And I had another older sister, she was 11 years older than me, and they were both served as almost second mothers to me. But when I was 11, it's almost like my worst nightmare came true. My second sister also passed as well, and at that time I, I did find out that it was a suicide, and, and then later on I found out also that my first sister's death was also a suicide, and that just kind of hurled me um, from a really young age uh, into a, a very deep depression. So depression obviously runs in my family, but um, I don't think that you know traumatic events um, necessarily are a prerequisite to experience it. Uh, some people are definitely just more inclined that way, their makeup, their temperament, and in some ways that's the way God created them, but that's not the be-all and end-all. Depression looked like and felt like for me on a day-to-day -day basis, there would be days where I just I just couldn't get out of bed. For me, there were some mornings I remember being in college in the city and just dreading getting up and walking to class because I'd have to, I knew I'd have to face Broadway and the racing, zooming taxi cabs and the cars. Um, it's something that I would have to cross and I would dread because I would be so scared that I would feel compelled to hurl myself into the street um, because that seemed to me like the easiest thing to do. Um, there would be days, I remember in my childhood, I would be practicing the piano and just making one, hitting one wrong key on the, on the piano while I'm practicing would trigger this, these emotions of feeling like I can't control my mistakes or just anything wrong in the world. And there would be times when if I hit that wrong key, it would set off this, this dam of emotions and I would not be able to stop crying for hours and hours on end. People would always say to me that I looked tired, that I, um, it would just be written on my face and I, and I wouldn't understand because to me that was normal. That was how I felt. I didn't know anything else, but yet whenever I would talk to people on a casual basis, They'd always tell me that I looked tired or that I looked sad, and to me that was my reality. That was my sense of what normal was. Heavy stuff, right? That is heavy stuff. And you may be dealing with heavy stuff today. In fact, it, it may be something as catastrophic as something that my wife dealt with. But at the same time, I don't want to alienate those of you who have been, you know, spared this kind of devastation. I, I don't want to give you the idea that depression only comes to you after trauma. Because actually, that would be my life. That's the story of my life. By God's grace, I've never had anything close to that devastating happen in my own life. Yet I still struggle with depression seasons here and there. But one of the things that Erica has graciously taught me over the years, and she, she touched upon it a little bit in the video, is that different people slip into depression for different reasons. And not all of the reasons have to be so earth-shattering. 
Now, guys, that doesn't exactly give us permission to, to get all depressed every time I get a bad haircut or something. That's case in point. But, but it does help me realize that, you know something? What causes one person to sort of spiral into depression may be very different than causes, what causes another person. And you know something? That is okay. So let me ask you something right now. What hurt, what pain does this gravel represent for you today? Again, it doesn't have to be something big and huge, but, but for some of you it is, all right? But for others, maybe not so much. I want you to go ahead and, I, and identify that moment. Look at your back here. Just kind of feel it again. And as you do, just sort of, just sort of feel the weight, feel the texture, feel the grit again. Right? Do you feel it there? The grit, the weight of it, right? The reality. Because here's the thing. Only when you feel it, only when you truly feel it, are you then truly ready to appreciate the prophet's closing thoughts. And this is incredible. Look with me here at this next passage, the last passage, verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have, what's the word there? Hope. Hope. Now, why would he have hope all of a sudden? He just listed all these things. He's been pushed down. He's been crushed. He's been weighed down. He's been walled in like a lion, mangled. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Why hope? Verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. Now watch this, watch this. Actually, I want all the campuses to read this together now. Let's read this together. Verse 23, here we go. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Guys, that's incredible. In other words, you may feel right now as though life has you by the neck. And it's just got this strong hold on you. Maybe you actually identify with my wife. Life is weighing you down. You can feel the grit and the harshness and the heaviness. Your prayers are just bouncing off the ceilings. Yet the prophet pauses here and he says, even with all of this, I still have hope. Why? Because of the Lord's great love. Because his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. In other words, I may feel like this today, but tomorrow's a new day. It's a new morning. Amen? I mean, he may have allowed something to crush you today, but he is faithful and he is good and he knows what he's doing and there will be a tomorrow. And folks, that is where faith, not just science, not just feelings, I'm talking about faith. That is where faith steps in. Jeremiah 24 says this, I say to myself, I can just, I can just picture him just, just beating his chest. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. In other words, the Lord is enough. God is enough. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will, what is the word? Wait. I will wait for him. In other words, it may not be immediate. It may not be today. It may not be now. It may not be on your timetable. But the Lord is faithful, and I will wait for him. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Guys, do you see what is going on here? The weeping prophet 
Jeremiah is actually saying, you know what? Even amidst all this pain, even amidst all this unspeakable hurt, one thing, one thing I will do, one thing I will choose is to remember God's love and to wait for him. I will wait for him. Folks, I have no idea what this gravel in your hand represents. I don't know what kind of cards you've been dealt. I, I, I don't know what you have to deal with, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you didn't ask for them, right? I mean, because rare are the moments where we are totally in control of our environment, our circumstances, if at all, right? But we can choose where we put our faith in. We can choose what things we hold on to. See, let me tell you something. As a believer in Christ, we're to live a cross-centered faith. In other words, when we look to the cross, we see that God himself allowed his own son, Jesus Christ, to be crushed. God allowed his own son to drink from a cup of sorrows. And yet the father was faithful. The father waited and waited and waited. And his mercies were new three days later. Three mornings later, his mercies were new and they were refreshed. Yeah, yeah, night definitely fell. The night had fallen, but you know something? The next morning, the sun came up. And you know something? So did the sun. Do you know what I'm talking about? And because of that, you and I, we have true hope. We have hope. Think about this. We have hope because of the brokenness and crushed body of Christ. We have hope because of God's compassion and faithfulness that are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness that took him up from the, from the grave. So, see, this is why Jeremiah waits, because he knows we have a God who took all our sorrows, all our pain, along with his own crushed son. And Jeremiah knows that God would soon compassionately and faithfully raise up new life on that new morning. This is why Jeremiah can say, the Lord is my portion and I will wait for him. And friends, that is the difference between depression and a cross-centered life. What will you choose to call to mind? What will you choose to actually hold on to makes all the difference in the world? Or at least that's what I'm constantly reminded of every time I go to the scriptures or even look at my wife. Depression is not something that defined me as it once did. And I think people even told me uh, as I was going through it and through different seasons how my countenance, you know, my, my face had changed. So specifically, uh, the three tools that I realized I needed to use in combination were the spiritual, devoting uh, each day, just clinging to the word and prayer, making sure that I had community and surrounded myself with people that I could trust with those demons of mine and that I could share whenever I needed to, um, ministry, you know, serving, 
on different teams, our missions projects, or, or now the worship team as well. And another thing is emotional. Um, I definitely spent some years with a wonderful therapist, a wonderful psychologist who helped me through and sort through some of the, the emotions that were all just kind of tangled up in knots. And the last thing would be um, the physical, uh, making sure that I was trying to exercise regularly, um, taking care of myself, making sure I get enough sleep, and also um, I do take medicine, I do take antidepressants. Um, I know that's kind of taboo or uh, a lot of people are reluctant, as I was in the beginning, but it's kind of like if someone has high cholesterol and they're prescribed Lipitor to manage that. You don't just take Lipitor in hopes that your cholesterol will drastically fall um, and then go out and eat 10 Big Macs, you know, as a part of your diet. Um, you, you deal with it at all ends. I really feel like God brought me kind of full circle on the day that um, I gave birth to my first daughter, Allie. Um, it was almost the start of a new chapter in my life. Uh, after we had Hallie, we had Nori and May, and to me, in a very special sense, they're uh, a reminder of God's uh, story of redemption. It's almost like God was showing me through their lives and through their, through their births how life can overcome death. Um, even though I lost uh, two sisters you know, from a really young age, God didn't give up on me. Um, there are times I wanted to give up on Him uh, and give up on life, but He didn't give up on me, and, and now I have three beautiful girls who are everything to me and um, are a constant reminder of life and of joy. Um, they can be monkeys at times and drive me nutty, <laughs> but um, it just, they bring me such a deep sense of God's redemptive power and what He can do um, if we don't give up and don't give up on His promises. Don't give up on His promises. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Will not give up on his promises. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. You know, one of the things I love and really appreciate about that last video is how Erica actually, she... She did the teaching for me. She actually highlighted the sort of balanced approach to what it means to actually wait on God if you're depressed, what it means to actually seek him. More specifically, uh, she mentioned three specific avenues. The first thing she talked about is this sort of spiritual approach, and she, she mentioned word and prayer. And guys, it, you got to go into the word of God. You, you, you got to go into this. You gotta, this has got to be the food that you eat. And, and some of you, you'll be surprised You'll be surprised what kind of stuff you'll find in here. You'll be surprised how God speaks to you. How many of you knew that there was a book on depression? How many of you knew maybe this is the first time you're reading Lamentations? God's got some good stuff in here for you. 
The second thing that she mentioned was this sort of emotional route, this emotional approach. For many of you, and I know this was, the, for, for her and me, this was like a big thing, like seeking counseling. That was like a, a big deal. I don't know why. And, and for some of you, there, maybe there's some taboos or stuff like that. But some of you, that's, that's the approach that we need, this, this emotional healing, counseling. You know, Pastor Tim, in the first week of this series, he mentioned that we have a list of recommended counselors, people, counselors that we work, Christian counselors that we've worked with. We would love to pass that on to you. Uh, last week, he mentioned the recovery groups. Some of you I know, you walked out of here and you're like, man, I got to sign up for that recovery group. And you haven't yet. Consider this God's second invitation to you. Maybe it's through recovery groups, this sort of emotional approach. And the last one, the physical approach. We could spend all week on this one, but here's the deal, okay? Medicine, antidepressants, okay? I know what some of you are thinking, all right? I went to Hopkins, Columbia, and DTS. I know all the arguments, okay? Here's the deal. Some of you are like, eh, I don't believe in medicine. I don't believe in all that man-made stuff. And that sounds very holy and pious. Congratulations. That's great. But you know something? Indoor plumbing is man-made too. I don't see any of you guys going out there in the woods, okay? Medicine can be God's gift as well when used appropriately. God can use, can I get an amen? God can use all of this stuff. All right, you will go further faster by submitting all of yourself to all of God's resources. You will go further faster. But what the weeping prophet doesn't want us to forget is that none of those things is possible without taking that first step of calling to mind because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Folks, you have to call that to mind when hope seems far away. What will you do? What will you do when that day comes? And it will. What will you do when you reach the dark night of your soul? See, centuries later, Jesus had his own dark night of the soul. And in that moment, he pulled together the community. He he pulled together those closest to him. And you know what he did? He took some bread. And he thanked God for this bread. He thanked God for his provisions. And then he took it. And then what he did was he just broke this thing. He just broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in, what's the word? Remembrance, call to mind. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup which represented the new covenant, which was in his blood. And he said to do this, whenever you drink it in what? What's the word? Remembrance, remembrance of me. Now, guys, let me ask you, when we celebrate communion, what exactly are we remembering? Jesus uses the word twice. What exactly are we remembering? We are remembering that Christ went through his own dark night of the soul as well. See, the reason Christ asked us to remember this is because he went through his own dark night, a time when his own sinless body was crushed like the gravel in your hand when it was crushed and his own innocent blood was shed. In fact, his dark night of the soul was a lot darker than any of your nights or mine. And what makes what happened at that cross nothing short of outrageous is that a sinless man, a sinless son, 
paid the price that all of us should have paid once and for all. See, Christ knew what it was like to have gravel poured in his mouth. All our sorrows, all our pains are but poor reflections, mere fractions of what Christ bore on the cross. God's justice, God's compassion colliding at the cross. See, what Christ suffered at the cross is infinitely more than whatever I've suffered in my own life. And my wife would be the first to tell you that what Christ suffered at the cross was infinitely more than anything even she has gone through as well. You know something? Because of that, because our pain actually goes through Christ, we can also trust that hope and life come through Christ as well. Does that make sense? See, only in the shadow of the cross does our suffering make sense. And only in the shadow of an empty tomb do we have true hope for a new morning. So you know something, guys? In these final moments, here's what I'd like to do. I want to give everyone here a choice. Everyone here, I want to give you a choice. I want to give you the choice. Here's what you can do. Two choices. You can either hold on to your gravel. Hold on to your pain. Maybe you are so comfortable with it that you don't know how to live without it. So go ahead. That's your choice. You can hold on to the gravel, hold on to the pain, or I would invite you to come to the communion table and choose to remember Christ by receiving his broken body and his shed blood for you. He took away all our sin. He took our baggage, and by his stripes, we are healed. So in a moment, the ushers will guide you, and as you approach the table, you're gonna see that you actually have the opportunity to check your baggage in. In other words, I'm gonna invite you to go ahead, and you can take this bag of gravel, and you're gonna see a suitcase right there in front of you. Just go ahead and toss it in. Toss it in. Check your baggage. Toss it into the empty uh, suitcase, and then approach the communion table, this will allow you to come to Christ with open hands and receive the true hope that comes from his crushed body and his spilt blood. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's take this moment to remember our hope found in Christ. Let's take this moment to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I I thank you so much for your goodness, your compassions that never fail, your faithfulness just renewed every morning. I thank you, Lord, for Erica and just... just the long journey that you've taken her through. It's it's just crazy to sum up her life in in 30 minutes here, Lord. Um, But that is reflected in all of our lives here. There's so much pain. There's so much sorrow. Father, I thank you that we have a Savior and a Lord who relates, not only relates with it all, but has been through it all and worse. And through him, we find our hope. We want to remember not just our pains, not just our sorrows, but we want to remember our Savior and his sacrifice for us And we celebrate that. We want to take it in right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.